Would you stand and listen for the word of the Lord? This morning out of the gospel according to St. John chapter 14, beginning in verse 23. Jesus answered him, those who love me will keep my word and my father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words and the word that you hear is not mine but is from the father who sent me. I have said these things to you while I'm still with you, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the father will send in my name, will teach you everything and remind you of all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away, and I am coming to you. If you loved me, you would rejoice that I'm going to the Father, because the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you this before it occurs, so that when it does occur, you may believe. This is the word of God for the people of God. Well, the appointed readings or the lectionaries for this time of year come from the Gospel of John. And so we're spending quite a bit of time, in fact, this whole month of May, reading from this section in John from beginning in chapter 13, running through chapter 17, where Jesus is having this conversation with his closest friends and disciples on the last night he is with them. I'm calling this whole series, It Happened One Night, to highlight for us and to help us remember that all this teaching we have about God and Jesus and how Jesus relates to God and how Jesus and God the Father and the Holy Spirit relate to each other, all of this largely basis for our idea of the Trinity comes in these chapters. Jesus shared all this teaching with these disciples in a very short period of time. On that last night, he was having dinner with them while still in the flesh. It is a single conversation. But my, what an amount, amazing amount of material for theological reflection is captured in this one section. But it's easy for me to begin to look at this and get so caught up and focused on the theological ideas in this long section of teaching that I forget about the context. Oh, wonderful ideas, no doubt, inform our faith for sure, but we should remember the context in which all of this is being said if we're going to understand the great impact that it is to have for all of us. Remember, this is happening on a Thursday night. Now, Jesus has decided to come to Jerusalem on that Sunday. He is ridden into town on a donkey. I've suggested to you it's symbolic of him challenging the Roman authority and saying, saying that Caesar is not Lord, but he is Lord. Saying Caesar is not divine. God is not alive in Caesar, but is alive in me. And in fact, because he's begun to challenge the common beliefs and the authorities of the day, John has told us that there is a plot to kill him underfoot. And if that's not enough, within his inner circle, 
there's one who's decided to betray him, to turn him over to the authorities. Another one that Jesus knows is going to deny him. The others are all going to flee and disappear. There is trouble all about. This is not a setting of just a classroom with a teacher and some students or disciples. This is a real-life situation where there is trouble in the inner circle and trouble all around them. And it's in that setting that Jesus says these words. You'll remember this conversation starts in chapter 13 as John tells the story. And they're coming to supper and Jesus takes out, off his outside garment and picks up a towel and a wash basin and begins to wash the feet of the disciples all around the table. And then he says, do you know what I've done for you? I've set you an example. You all should love one another as I have loved you. This is the new commandment, that you should love one another. And then right after that, in the beginning of chapter 14, Jesus bids them peace and says, do not let your hearts be troubled. But did you hear that he also reiterated that very same teaching in this passage that we just read today? Do not let your hearts be troubled. And do not let them be afraid. Well, this, you could say, is a time of tension for sure and stress for those in the group there. But it would not be too much probably to argue that this is a time of crisis for the Jesus movement. I mean, there's betrayers and deniers and lots of them having questions as to what they're going to do and where they're going and where Jesus is leading them. Now, not many of us probably, maybe none of us are thinking that we're going to be arrested this evening after supper or that we're facing impending death or that there's a group of people plotting to kill us. That's all the kind of trouble these disciples and Jesus, perhaps, were thinking about over dinner. But we have troubles nonetheless, do we not? I bet you've been involved in relationships or known somebody who's had a close friend of theirs betray them or deceive them to cross them in a way that was hurtful and harmful. Or maybe you've had the situation in your own family where relationships, for one reason or another, have become strained. Maybe strained so far that you would actually say they're broken or that there's a crisis in the family because of the struggle we're having with these relationships. It might be similar to what the disciples are going through in a way. Or it might be with your job or in a career or at work where it's just become untenable. Some things have happened and you don't think you can stay there much longer. And yet there's such risk of loss and harm that might happen. And you want to make a decision, but you're not sure which way to go. Or maybe you have financial burdens that have fallen upon you and your family to such an extent that they're just becoming overwhelming and all of a sudden you're having trouble sleeping and making decisions and you're beginning to find yourself paralyzed by the financial situation in which you find yourself or maybe none of those are your issues but perhaps you've been to the doctor lately and received a diagnosis that you did not expect 
and now you have a bit of a health crisis to deal with. Or sometimes even worse than that is when someone we're close to, someone we love, gets the diagnosis and they're the ones battling for their life and you are there with them as the support person beginning the rounds of treatment and office calls with the doctor and you begin to think that this is too much and then you feel guilty that you've even thought of that because the one you love is the one that's really fighting the battle and then you're frustrated and cannot believe that you've even thought of yourself Trouble comes in so many different kinds of ways. Fear creeps up on us in so many different situations. You might be at a crossroads where you need to make a big decision. And yet you cannot predict the future. You're not sure which way to go. You cannot see clearly what decision to make. Or maybe you're like these graduating seniors, excited to be at this point of transition, looking forward to the future. And yet there's that a little bit of unsettled feeling underneath perhaps of not knowing for sure how this is all going to work out going to a new place perhaps new people new situations different challenges even if we're not facing arrest or a plot of people to kill us there are plenty of ways we find ourselves in a situation of trouble and fear so many ways that we become troubled and afraid. And it's in a context like that that Jesus says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not let them be afraid. When trouble's all around, Jesus is still bidding peace, telling his disciples, telling you and me, do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not let them be afraid. But when we're in the midst of trouble, it's harder to experience that than it is just to read it out of the book or hear someone else say it. There is real trouble around. But we need to remember Jesus was in a similar situation. There was real trouble brewing all around him. As I was reading through this, it reminded me of a well-known story, if you've studied the roots of Methodism, about John Wesley. This one happened before he was really the founder of the Methodist movement. He had grown up in a Christian home. He had become an Episcopal priest in the Church of England. He had felt a call to go into the mission field. He had decided to leave England, board a ship, and come to the New World, to the colony of Georgia. He got on the boat. He was keeping a journal. So he tells us storms began to come, and then more storms, great violent storms, so much so that they had to stay below deck for much of the trip. But even though they were below deck, the waves were so great that water was pouring in upon them and pushing in through the planks. And Wesley began to fear for his own life. He thought he was going to die right here at sea. He was having a sense of panic, you could say. But there were others on the ship, and one particular group he noticed were very calm. They were over on the other side singing hymns. And praying together. They were Christians from Germany. They were called the Moravians. 
Wesley became intrigued. He began to spend more time with them while they were on the ship. And then when they finally got to Georgia, he sought out one of their pastors to ask him more about their faith. Because he, he could see there was a distinctive difference. His faith was not giving him any assurance. And yet this group, they were so calm and poised in the face of such trouble. He records in his journal what happened when he sought out that pastor and asked him about their faith and how it fed them and nourished them in such a way that they were so calm in the midst of trouble. And then Wesley records the conversation. I want to read part of it to you. He said after he sought out the pastor and told him what he was there for, the pastor asked him, have you the witness within yourself? Does the Spirit of God bear witness with your spirit that you are a child of God? Wesley writes, I was surprised and did not know what to answer. The pastor observed it, he wrote, and the pastor asked him, do you know Jesus Christ? Wesley paused and said, I know he is the Savior of the world. True, replied he, but do you know he has saved you? Wesley writes that he answered, I hope he has died to save me. The pastor only added, do you know it yourself? Wesley said, I do. But then he recorded in his journal, but I fear they were vain words. Wesley was not sure. He wasn't confident that the Holy Spirit was there with him. He wasn't sure he was trusting in God. I think there's a parallel between what Wesley was experiencing and what these early disciples are experiencing in our text today. It is not the external circumstances that determine the sense of calm and peace. It is a relationship with God. It is your relationship with God. You see the disciples and John Wesley are both struggling with believing and trusting that God's Spirit is really with them and can really see them through any and all circumstances. How about your life? What ties you up in knots? What raises your anxiety level? What stresses you out? What brings you trouble? When do you begin to feel like the grip of fear has a hold of you? The peace of the world is based on the external circumstances in which we live. The peace that Christ offers is based on a relationship with God via the power of the Holy Spirit at work within you. It's based on your relationship with God and your experience of God's presence and power working in you. See if you can hear this. Again, I'm going to read you a few verses of what Jesus has said beginning in verse 25. He says, I have said these things to you while I'm still with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything 
and remind you of all that I have said to you. And then add this next verse. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. And do not let them be afraid. Now in a way, this sums up the Trinity. The peace is sent from the Father through the Son and is activated in you by the Holy Spirit. Our Disciple One study manual reminds us about the Greek word used here, paraclete, that's translated in this New Revised Standard Version as advocate. But it reminds us that in the King James Version, they translated the word comforter. And in the Old Revised Standard Version, in the New International Version, instead of comforter or advocate, they use counselor. In the New Message Translation, Dr. Peterson uses friend. In the footnote of my study Bible, it says that you could translate it just as well using the word helper. All of these different words describing God's Spirit being with us. But suffice it to say, this is God's gift to you, offered to you without price. God's presence available to you anytime, anywhere, in any circumstance. God is present and available to any and all of us that would open ourselves to God's Holy Spirit moving in our lives. I think about these graduating seniors and this next phase of life that they're stepping into. So many exciting opportunities, and yet we all know there will be challenges that come. I hope that they know that the Holy Spirit is with them. I hope because of their days here at Boston Avenue, they go forth with a confidence that God goes with them. I pray for you all that you will find time to, to spend in the awareness of God, opening yourselves to the presence of God wherever your path may lead. For it offers you a foundation that the world cannot give. It offers you a sense of peace that the world cannot provide it's important for all of us on our life journey to recognize that jesus promises the presence of the holy spirit available to each and every one of us wherever we go whatever we do whatever we encounter god is with us there's a story about a young lad who was working on a very difficult project. He was having time, hard time bringing it to fruition. He was trying everything he could think of, and he was not able to pull it all together. Finally, he went to his father to complain and was telling his dad how bad it was. And his dad said to him, have you tried everything? Have you used all of your resources? And the young boy said, well, yes, I have. And his father said, well, not yet. Because you have not asked for my help. Amen. Thanks be to God.